Good morning. Welcome to church. So glad that you're here this morning. Why don't you grab your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I am excited to get into God's Word this morning because of the subject of our time together today. And the reality is, if you can get this, if you can get what we are about to talk about this morning, if you can wrap your mind, wrap your heart, wrap your life around what we are about to talk about this morning, then you are well on your way to living the Christian life. The title of today's message is Walk in Wisdom. Walk in Wisdom. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say, and I think uh, many of us would agree, that there is a difference between people who are smart and people who are wise. Big difference between people who are smart and people who are wise. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, A smart person knows that a tomato is a fruit, but a wise person will not put that tomato in their smoothie because that's disgusting. They just won't do it, right? There's, There's an old saying that goes, a smart person knows what to say, but a wise person knows when to say it. There is a monumental difference between people who are smart and people who are wise. In fact, the Bible tells us that one of the principal pursuits that we should be going after within the Christian life is the chase for godly wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7, up on the screen for you, says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, get wisdom, make it the pursuit of your life to get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. In other words, one of the ways that you know that you are wise and not just smart is that you're making it the pursuit of your life to live your life as one who is wise in God's eyes. Now here's the thing. If God says that one of the principal pursuits of our lives is the chase for godly wisdom, then how do we know that we've got it? How do you know that you're living and walking in wisdom. That's where Ephesians chapter 5 comes in for us today. And of course, as you might know, the Bible has a lot to say about what it means to walk in wisdom, what it means to live as a wise person before God. There's so many different places we could go. But of course, we're going to focus our time and attention this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. And the Bible shows us here three ways that we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt. Three ways that we can know for sure that we are walking in godly wisdom. So follow along with me as I begin reading Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now you'll notice here in this passage that we just read that Paul again uses this word walk. We've seen him use this word a number of times through the course of chapters 4 and 5 that we've been through the last few weeks. It's again a simple metaphor for how we live the Christian life. It's a metaphor for how we live in relationship with God. And it's important for us to understand as believers in Jesus that our life is made up of a series of steps. One after another, after another, after another, with every decision that we make, with every priority that we set, with every path that we choose, with every influence that we allow, 
We are walking in a certain direction. You are setting a certain direction for your life. So the question then becomes, how do you know that you're walking in wisdom? How do you know that you're walking in wisdom? Well, three ways Paul tells us here in this passage, right from the text. You can see this right in God's word for yourself. Notice this, number one. Walking in wisdom means pay close attention to your life. Pay close attention to your life. Notice the instruction here in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. That word then stuck right in the middle there, that's actually a really important word for us to take note of because it's what is called a term of conclusion. And that word is meant to point our attention back to what Paul has just said at the end of verse 14. Uh, You might remember, he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, we looked at that last week, and and you may remember that Paul says that uh, partly as a call to unbelievers to turn away from their sin and to wake up to the reality that Jesus loves them and has a much better way of life for them, but it's also a call to us as believers in Jesus to make sure that we have not fallen asleep in our own sin, to make sure that we have not been lulled to sleep by sin within our life, by the evil influences around us. And so he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. His light will shine upon your life. And then now he comes to verse 15 and says, look carefully then how you walk. So to say this another way, he's saying that one of the ways that you know that you're walking in wisdom is that you're not spiritually sleepwalking through this life. You're just not spiritually sleepwalking. You're not mindlessly letting the ways of the world dictate the way that you live. Instead, you're looking carefully at what's going on around you. You're looking carefully at your own life. You're looking carefully at the things that are taking place around you. Again, you realize that your life is a series of steps. One after another, after another, after another. You keep putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, and you keep on moving. Every decision, every path, every influence that we allow into our life. And wisdom pays attention to where you put your foot down next. That's what he means when he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, not as someone who lacks the powers of proper discernment, but as wise, as someone who takes the knowledge about God, who takes the knowledge about life that we find from the word of God and skillfully applies it, applies that knowledge to the way that we live so that it pleases God. That's wisdom. It's taking knowledge about God, taking knowledge about life that we find from the word of God and skillfully applying the truth of the word of God to the ways of life. It's kind of like a carpenter who has um, using the right tool for the job. And the carpenter has a whole bunch of tools in his toolbox, but if he wants to get the job done and make it look good, he's got to use the right tool for the right job. And we've got God's word. God's word is like our toolbox, and there's so many tools in that toolbox to help us live. But we need to take the right tool for the right job. We need to take the right tool from God's word for the right circumstance of our life and skillfully apply that knowledge to the way that we live. So how do we do that? Well, first, notice here, Uh, Make every opportunity count. Verse 16, Paul says, making the best use of the time. So he tells us here how to do this. He tells us how to pay close attention to our life. Make every opportunity count. Now, isn't it true uh, that in the grand scheme of things that we just don't have a lot of time in this life? 
Like, I'm, I'm not just talking about the day-to-day stuff and, and the stuff that fills our calendars and keeps us busy. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking in, like, the grand scheme of eternity. Like, comparatively speaking, our life is not that long in the comparison to eternity, right? So we don't really have a lot of time. We think we do, but we don't. Our sin-stained hearts con us into believing that we're always going to have more time later to do what needs to be done now. And isn't it true as well that the older we get, the more frequently we start to look back and just wonder, where did all the time go? Like, where did all of it go? Like, I'm turning 45 this summer, and pardon me, I've been waiting for that all day. So anyway, and, and one of the lessons that I'm learning is just how quickly time goes by. Like, our daughter is turning 15 this summer. Can somebody please tell me when that happened, right? And, and she's looking at us, and she's like, man, I'm going to be driving next year. Isn't that great? And Stacy and I are looking at each other like, yeah, that's so great. Like, way to go. Can't wait for that. And, and yet, it's just becoming a lot more real. As time goes on, the older we get, that this is actually time that we're not going to get back. And that's part of what Paul is trying to help us see here. He's trying to help us see the urgency of the time that we actually have. Now, there's two words that Paul uses here, or that Paul could have used here in this passage to talk about time. One word is like telling time on your watch or on a clock. Um, that's the time of the day. But the word that he actually uses here refers to an opportune time. It refers to a season of time. And the idea behind that word is actually to buy back the time, to redeem the time. It's the same word that Paul used when he was talking about buying a slave's freedom. You buy them out of slavery, just like Jesus redeemed us out of the slavery to our sin. Galatians 3, verse 14. We now, he says, are to buy back the time from its slavery to evil, because that's what he says next, because the days are evil, So we are to buy back the time out of its slavery to evil and use it in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. So the point here is this. Pay close attention to your life. Don't be a spiritual sleepwalker. Don't be deceived by sin and the enemy. Pay close attention to the way that you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. So he tells us, not only how to do this, but he also tells us why to do this. Notice this, pay close attention to your life because the days are evil. So just look around us, right? I mean, we see this everywhere, don't we? Kids are being taught in school certain things about origins and identity and morality and destiny. Being taught about those things as if those things are The things about that they're saying are gospel truth when in reality so much of what is being said and what is being taught goes against what God has clearly said in his word already. And it's it's not just in grade school or in high school. It's really at all levels of learning. In fact, it may even be more difficult the higher that you get. Turn on the news. I mean, we look around, we see corruption, we see destruction, we see death, we see violence, we see anger, hatred, animosity. I mean, we just see it everywhere, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to be like Dougie Downer here, but, but it's true, isn't it? The days are evil. And then, if that's not enough, we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we have a front row seat to evil, don't we? 
because we see the evil in our hearts. We see the sin within our own life. And then in that moment, by the grace of God, not only do we see the evil that is within our hearts, but we see the cross on which Christ died and saved us from that. Thank you, God, for your grace. And so part of the, part of the call here from Paul is to help us see the urgency of what this means. The wise person will look at life and they will look at this world with spiritual eyes. And that wise person will be ready through their life and through their words to push back the darkness of sin and buy back the time for the kingdom of Jesus. Now, the challenge here is that we are very easily distracted, right? I mean, anybody else want to admit that or is it just me? Right, okay, a few of us, all right. So we are so easily distracted by things that take place within our life from day to day. There was a study done, an official study done at the end of 2017 uh, that found that a person on average checks their phone every 12 minutes. Every 12 minutes. So over the course of, say, a 16-hour day, assuming that you sleep eight hours a night, 16 hours a day that you're awake, every 12 minutes, that means the average person is checking their phone 80 times a day. And often, not always, but often for no good reason, right? Like just checking your phone over and over, largely because we've cultivated this fear of missing out on things, right? But, but we're so easily distracted, not just by this, but we're so easily distracted by so many different things. And do you know where all of that distraction leads? It leads to too many people trying to do too many things with not nearly enough time to do them all. And then we end up feeling like we're on this rat race and, and we're on this kind of hamster wheel that just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. We didn't even know we got on that hamster wheel and now we have no idea how to get off that hamster wheel. And, and we've got this knot in our stomach that we just can't seem to get rid of because it just feels so much like we've got so much to do and how am I ever going to get everything done in the time that I have? It's never going to happen. Then it just stresses us out. We get anxious. We get worried. Like, that's going nowhere good, right? And, and hear me, I'm, I'm not ignoring the reality that uh, there are some things within life that we need to be involved in. Legitimately, we need to be engaged in. Nor am I ignoring the reality that sometimes there's just seasons of life where stuff just happens and it's out of your control and you have to be involved in that. You have to be actively engaged in those things. I'm not ignoring that reality. However, there are times when it feels like we are stuck just doing a bunch of stuff, right? And then we don't know how we're going to get it all done. And, and in the end, in the end, maybe not every time, but most times, in the end, that's not just an issue of time management. That's not just an issue of not having enough time to fit everything into the course of our day, wondering how we're going to get it all done. It's not just that. At the end of the day, ultimately, for all of us, it's an issue of our heart. Because somewhere in all of that distraction, people are not looking for more things to do. Right? Like, I don't know too many people who are going out and saying, you know what, I just need more ways to fill my calendar. Like, just give me more, 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 more. And just, I just want to do more. Like, not many people are looking for more things to do. In the midst of all of that, we're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. They're looking for significance to this life in the midst of all of that busyness. And you know what most often gets sacrificed in the midst, midst of the busyness? 
buying back the time. Because we're so busy doing other stuff. So, so think about this for a few seconds. Just think about this right now. Let's take this opportunity right here, right now in God's word. Look carefully then how you live, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So look carefully at your own life. In all of the ways that you spend your time, what is your heart really longing for? You longing for attention, for recognition, for significance, for purpose? Are you engaged in certain things within your life, just doing, 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 because it's serving as some kind of distraction from other things that you don't want to do? Or is your way of life buying back the time for the kingdom of Jesus? Now, think for a minute about uh, some ways that maybe this plays out in your life. Maybe this plays out in the lives of some people here in this room. Maybe uh, in your family you have a prodigal child. Someone who's walked away from the Lord, walked away even from you as well. And, and it's when the opportunity's there, it's saying, hey, listen, we love you. And God loves you. And we're praying for you. And we want you to understand that, that Jesus loves you so, so much. And it's speaking truth and grace and love and compassion and hope into a situation that has taken them down the wrong path. You know what that is? That's making every opportunity count. It's pushing back the darkness and buying back the time. It's going to work and, and you find out that some of your coworkers are going about the job in a way that's less than honest and truthful and, and they're encouraging you now to do the same and, it, and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to do it that way because God has a better way. And it's committing yourself to do your job with truthfulness and integrity and honesty. It's making every opportunity count. It's pushing back the darkness and buying back the time. Listen, all of us, all of us have this opportunity right in front of us every single time that we get up and look at ourselves in the mirror every single day. So check your own heart right now. Look carefully then how you walk. Are there ways in which you are spiritually sleepwalking through your life? Are there ways that I am spiritually sleepwalking through my life? Are there any places where I have grown cold to the heart of God or I've grown deaf to the voice of God? See, the wise person will understand that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. Listen to how the psalmist said it in Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to number our days. Lord, teach us how to live. Lord, teach us to, how to spend our time. Lord, teach us what matters the most, that as we live this life, we may gain a heart of wisdom. We may walk in wisdom. Listen, loved ones, you want to walk in wisdom, then you have to pay close attention to your life. But it also means this. Second, understand the Lord's will for your life. So it's not just pay close attention to your life, but understand the Lord's will for your life. Paul says this, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And part of the way we do that, first of all, he says, is by avoiding what is foolish. He says, verse 17, do not be foolish. So instead of senselessly and carelessly living your life, we should make it the goal of our life to understand what the will of the Lord is. Instead of living as someone who has no purpose, who has no plan for life, 
we live as followers of Jesus as someone who does have a plan for life because God has given us that plan for life. Now, we saw a little bit of this last week back in verse 10. The sentence actually starts back at the end of verse 8. So look back in chapter 5 to the end of verse 8. Paul says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here it is, verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So the idea here is the same. God has given us general guidelines in his word for how to live this life, which is his will for us. It's his desire for the way that we are to live our lives. Listen to how Moses said it in Deuteronomy 29. This is a powerful, powerful verse. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So there there are some things that are true about God that have not been revealed to us. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. What are they? Can you tell me? No, because they're secret, right? Only, only God knows those things, right? Secret things belong to the Lord our God. He goes on and says, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. Now, I want you to see here three really important things in helping us understand the will of the Lord. The first is this. The will of the Lord is our possession. It's our possession. It has been revealed to us, and it belongs to us. Now, part of what he says here is that there are some things that are not revealed, some things that don't belong to us, but God has revealed many things within his word that do belong to us, that we do know, that we do understand about this life in his word. Those things do belong to us. They are our possession. But notice this second, the will of the Lord is also our provision, So not only does God's will belong to us, but God and his will belong to our children, it says here, forever. The provision that you and I enjoy by faith in Jesus Christ will be available for our children and for their children after them and for their children after them and so on and so on and so on if they receive him by faith in Jesus Christ. It is our provision. And then finally, the will of the Lord is our priority. So notice this last part again, that we may do all the words of this law. The wise person makes the will of the Lord their highest priority. So, what is the will of the Lord? How do you understand the will of the Lord? What is the will of the Lord for your life? Well, check this out. Here's some verses to help us understand this. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 Paul says, for this is the will of God. He's going to tell us right here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will for our life is for us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our sanctification. And a massive part of that for Christians in Paul's day, but also for Christians today, is sexual purity. That is the Lord's will for our lives. 1 Peter 3, verse 17 Peter says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So Peter spends this letter teaching us that because we have been made for a different world, that we're actually going to suffer while we live in this world and that our suffering now can be used as a way to glorify God. That's the will of the Lord for your life. Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Like this is everything that Paul's been talking to us through the book of Ephesians. Don't mindlessly follow the ways of the world. That's not wisdom. Don't live as though you have no plan or no purpose for life because God has given you a plan. God has given you a purpose in his word, in his will. Instead, Paul says here, renew your mind with God's word. And here's why. Because the days are evil and the time is short. Again, that's, that's, the way he, uh, that's why he says at the start of verse 17, he says, therefore, don't miss that word at the beginning of verse 17. He's picking right up from the end of verse 16. Again, he says, the days are evil, the time is short. Don't waste the opportunities for your life. And press into God's word. Because when you know God's word, you know God's will. It really is that simple, loved ones. When you know God's word, you know God's will. God's word is God's plan for your life. God's word is God's purpose for your life. And he says here, the foolish person is the one who ignores that plan. The foolish person is the one who ignores that purpose and goes and tries to live their own way and do their own thing. Proverbs chapter 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Proverbs 1 goes on to say that, that it's like um, wisdom is, is personified in Proverbs chapter 1. And, and the writer um, personifies wisdom as a woman who is standing in the middle of the street. And she's crying out in the streets for all who will listen. And, and she's crying out and she's saying, how long will you, uh, how long will you be satisfied with, with being simple? How long will you be satisfied in in living without wisdom? And she's just crying out in the middle of the streets, here is wisdom, come and get it. Anyone who wants it, come and receive it. It's available to anyone who will take it. And the way of wisdom is this, Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not be foolish. Don't be senseless. Don't be careless. Don't be living your life as though you have no plan or purpose in the way that you live, but understand the will of God the Lord. Understand his desire for your life, which leads then to this one final step. Walking in wisdom means pay close attention to your life, understand the Lord's will for your life, and then this, number three, surrender control of your life. Surrender control of your life. Verse 18, Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, Paul is contrasting the life of foolishness and the life of wisdom. Here he says, uh, the foolish person gets drunk. The foolish person surrenders control of their life to a substance that leads to uncontrollable passions. The foolish person's life, he says, is marked by debauchery, meaning wastefulness recklessness, specifically here, a disorderly existence. Again, he keeps coming back to this. The foolish person lives as though there is no plan or purpose or something holding their life together. It's a disorderly existence. Isn't it interesting that um, Paul has spent this section in chapters 4 and 5 just 
reminding us, teaching us how to walk. Chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Then in chapter 5, walk in um, walk in love, walk as children of light. Now he says walk in wisdom. It's just walk, 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 walk. Walk in this straight path because this is the way that leads you to the life that glorifies God. And isn't it interesting that one of the most obvious signs of drunkenness is the inability to walk in a straight line. Sometimes it's even the inability just to walk at all. So he says, that's foolish. Don't live like that. Don't give your life to that because you're wasting your life. It's time, if if you're going to walk as a child of light, if you're going to walk as a child of Jesus, it's time to leave that behind and walk in wisdom. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Just think for a minute of the epidemic that drunkenness, alcoholism is in our culture. It has been for a long time. And consider what an opportunity it is now for us in this particular topic that is so prevalent in our world. Just think of the opportunity that is before us right now to walk as children of light in this one particular way. Like, this was a real deal in Paul's day. There were religions and cults that were built, built around the notion that the more physically intoxicated you were, the more divinely inspired you would become. And people now in Paul's day are getting saved out of these lies. And now he says, one of the ways that you set yourself apart in a world that lives in foolishness is that you are not being controlled by a substance, whether it's alcohol or drugs or some other kind of addiction, you're not being controlled by the substance. Instead, he says, you are being controlled by the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's some important theology for us here, okay? This is really, really important. We know that when the Spirit of God breathes new life into us and we are genuinely converted through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that the Spirit of God indwells us. He permanently lives within us until the moment that we are taken home to be with the Lord. But Paul says here, be filled with the Spirit. So being indwelt with the Spirit is something different than being filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to answer three main questions here. First, what does this mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does this mean? Second, how does it happen? And third, how will I know? How will I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? So first, what does this mean? The New Testament talks very frequently about being full of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, uh, particularly through the book of Acts. Um, But the way that Paul uses this phrase here, be filled with the Spirit, it's unique to the entire New Testament. It's the only way that we see it used in the entire New Testament. So notice this up on the screen. When you take this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, and you begin to break it down, you see some very important aspects of what Paul means when he says for us as Christians to be filled with the Spirit. For one thing, this is in the present tense, which means that this is an ongoing reality 
that is to be repeated within the Christian life. This is not simply a one-time event. Let me give you a contrast. John chapter 2, Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. Uh, You might remember his first miracle, he turns water into wine. He says to the guys, go take these jugs down to the river, fill them. It's the same word, fill them, fill them with water, bring them back. And, And that's what Jesus said to them. But the way that Jesus gave that command, the way that he said it, was meant to be a one-time event. Take these jugs down to the river, fill them up, bring them back, you're done. One time. But the way that Paul uses it here is said to be repeated. It happens over and over again. It's not just a one-time event. Then notice this as well. This is also in the imperative mood. That means it's an imperative. It means it's a command that we must obey. Paul says here, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command for us to obey. Notice this as well. This is also in the passive voice, meaning we do not fill ourselves, but instead we seek the Spirit for Him to fill us. So that means then that there is no special formula, there is no special technique except seeking the Spirit of God in prayer. Ultimately, the filling of the work of the Spirit, the, sorry, the filling is the work of the Spirit, but we must seek Him for it. Furthermore, this is in the plural form, which means then that this is a command for all of us to obey. And this is key, friends. This is really, really important because this is teaching us that being filled with the Spirit is not about some elite level upper-class Christianity that only the super-mature, super-holy are able to attain. That's not what that is. The command here is for all of us, regardless of how long you have been a Christian. You could be the oldest Christian in the room. You could be the newest Christian in the room. This is a command for every Christian to seek the Spirit of God within our lives. In addition It is telling us as well that ultimately this is what the Christian life is to be like for everybody. Don't you find sometimes that you come to the Bible, you sit down, you open it up in front of you, you start reading, and you're like, wow, man, I don't know if I could ever live that way. Like that that just seems super spiritual, super holy. That seems out of my reach. Ever happened to you? And yet what the Bible's telling us here is that this is the way of life. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the life that we should be seeking as we follow after Jesus. Now that's what it means. Question number two, how does it happen? And Paul answers that question in a parallel passage in Colossians 3, which is really important in helping us understand. So notice this up on the screen. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, notice this. In both passages, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, all of the same fruit is growing out of the believer's life but it looks as though that fruit is growing from a different root. Looks like it's coming from a different source, but it's not. 
because the word of Christ that Paul mentions in Colossians 3 is inspired by the spirit of God that Paul mentions in Ephesians 5. So, the primary way that we are filled with the spirit is by responding obediently to the word of Christ. Think about that. Thought by thought, act by act, with every decision and within every moment. It is living under the control of the Holy Spirit that helps us walk in obedience to Jesus. Now, here's some application. Listen to how commentator Sinclair Ferguson describes this. He says, the way in which we obey the command to be filled with the Spirit is by responding to the Word of Christ, making room for its influence, giving our minds to its truth, our hearts to its teaching, and our wills to its obedience. To be under the influence of the Word is to place ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. Which leads then to question number three. How will I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, look at the Bible. First of all, back to Ephesians 5, Paul says, I'll be worshipful. Look at verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is all the result now of being filled with the Spirit. So see this here. This is so great. I love this passage. I love this particular verse so much because notice here, he makes no reference to the quality of our singing. Can I get a witness? Right? Amen. Amen. He makes no reference, except to say maybe that we're making melody, but even off-key is a melody of some kind, right? Even if only dogs can hear it, right? It's, so he's, he's not referring primarily to the quality of our singing, but rather to the content of our singing. So one of the ways that we know that we're spirit-filled is that we are encouraging one another. Notice he says here, addressing one another. One of the ways we know we're spirit-filled is that we're encouraging one another with the songs that we sing corporately, the songs we sing together. And he says here the content of our songs are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So think about this. What are the psalms? The psalms are a description of the nature and the work of God. So does that mean then that we can only sing songs from the psalms? Say that five times fast. Does that mean we can only sing songs from the Psalms? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that all of the songs that we sing need to point us Godward. We need to be pointing one another towards God, not towards ourselves, not towards us. And we sing these songs with our heart, not only with one another, but also notice we make melody to the Lord. And understand, understand as we do this in a posture of worship before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, understand that it is not always just singing songs of joy. Because there's going to be times in your life and in mine where we need to sing songs of lament. We need to sing songs of grief. Need to sing songs of, of Lord, I, I just need you so much right now, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I just need you so much right now. 
But one of the ways that we know that we are spirit-filled is that there is this rejuvenation in our hearts with a desire to worship the Lord. Notice the second, we'll also be thankful. He says, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be thankful always and for everything is to see God's loving care both in your prosperity but also in your problems. It's the heart that thanks God for the big things and the small things. It's the heart that thanks God for strength in the suffering, even though the suffering doesn't make sense and it hurts so much that you're not even sure how to describe it. It's the heart that thanks God for his tender mercy and compassion in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your depression. Grateful lips reveal a trusting heart. One of the ways that we know we're filled with the Spirit is that we give thanks always and for everything. You realize that means then that as we're filled with the Spirit, there's no room for complaining. There's no room for grumbling. And let's be honest, we need the Spirit of God for that, right? Like left to ourselves in our flesh, we would never thank God like this for, for anything. So we'll be worshipful, we'll be thankful, and then finally this, notice, we'll be humble. We'll be humble, verse 21, in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission here is a military term that means to arrange under. And verse 21 is is kind of acting like a diving board into what is coming next at the end of chapter 5. Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. Uh, The idea of submission is putting aside your rights for the sake of someone else. And it's meant here, as Paul says, to point us back to the example of Jesus. We do this out of reverence for Christ, who, as Philippians 2 says, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like, Jesus loved you and me so greatly that he left his position of honor in heaven with all of its rights and privileges, and as the creator of the universe, he humbled himself to be born in a small and smelly stable in a backwoods village to parents that nobody had ever heard of. Then he lives a perfect, sinless life, relegating himself to mockery and eventually relegating himself to torture on a cross. His perfect life offered up for us. He humbly, quietly, obediently goes to the cross, putting aside his rights for the sake of his love for us. And in his death, he takes a wrath that should have been poured out on us so that in his dying, we might forever live so that when he rose from the dead, his victory over sin becomes our victory over sin when we believe in him. And all of that and so much more because he put aside his rights because he loves you. He loves you that much. And one of the ways that we know that we are filled with the spirit of God is that we live like Jesus. We live like Jesus, we're worshipful, we're thankful, and we are humble. So do you see what the Bible's saying here? See what Paul's trying to teach us here? That that being filled with the Spirit is not some over-the-top religious experience that only the really super spiritual get to have. What he's saying here is that this is supposed to be the everyday experience of everyday victory for everyday believers in Jesus Christ. 
So see this, friends. See this so clearly, I pray this morning. Walking in wisdom means pay close attention to your life, understand the Lord's will for your life, and surrender control of your life. Hear this. Hear this so clearly. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight.